Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. It's a journey of learning how to live a different way. A journey of how to connect with the Lord in your heart based on His truth and actually experience transformation. You know, I have found that unfortunately a lot of Christians, do, they don't know how to engage the process of transformation. Like, like what we just heard described. It is a process. You know, what we want is we want to be zapped. We want some magic, right? We want God to just say, you're delivered. It's done. And it can happen that way. I mean, some of you have probably been delivered that way of, of things. And it's not that it can't happen, and it's not that one way or the other is better, but I pray that even if it does happen like that, that the heart is rebuilt in the process. The identity is rebuilt in the process, is reshaped, and the mind is renovated according to truth. And, you, you know, you referenced the life being sucked out of you, and I've been talking a lot about growing our roots deep into God, the presence of God, the Spirit of God. A man that meditates in the law day and night is like a tree planted by a stream. His leaves don't wither. Uh, he bears fruit in season, and everything he puts his hand to prospers. That's what you're experiencing. That's a picture of what you're experiencing, and that, that builds wholeness. That's the goal. I want you walking in the supernatural. I want you sharing your faith. I want you experiencing raises in your jobs so that you can be a blessing to the world around you. I want you having healthy relationships. But it, all of that stems out of you becoming whole. Whole from the abuse from the past, whole from fear, whole from the, 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 the world, whatever happens to you. You know, that, that you can stand and look at anything and it has nothing in you. It doesn't strike any chords within you. You know, you think of Jesus. He's like, the enemy comes. There's nothing in me. There's just nothing in me that he has to mess with and play with. And I would say the world comes at us, but there's nothing in us that gives in to the fear. And so we've got these roots, and the roots, if you will, of our heart are our beliefs. You can dig your beliefs, the roots of your heart, deep into this world, and this world will suck the life out of you. Or you can dig the roots of your heart, your beliefs, deep into God and be nourished and fed. Amen? And it's a choice. But it's a very real thing. The Spirit of God in you is a very real thing. It's not just an idea. That, that's the process. That's, that's part of the change that needs to happen is like we've been given a form of living spiritually that's actu that actually can be carnal because it's focused on a lot of external things. It's like I can do this and so therefore I'm spiritual. I can do this in my life, therefore I'm spiritual. I'm walking in this and it makes me more spiritual. It's like, yeah, that should, those should be fruits. But really living in the spirit is that you can dig into God and change, not settle for sin, not settle for lack, not settle for 
being defined by your past. Man, I'm encouraged. I'm telling you, this is, it's just, it just, you know, it works. You know, so I was, I was just thinking, I cannot get away from this idea. And I was thinking about motherhood and, and I, and I talked to some moms. I put a post on Facebook, and I know, I know well, Judy was in here a second. She responded, and a few people responded. And it was interesting. There was a common thread of people, of mothers, having experienced a difficulty with their children and, and having to forgive themselves for the way that they handled some things. Now, of course, the children have to own their part as well, but it's, it's, it was interesting because you moms are hard on yourselves, You are. You guys are hard on yourselves sometimes, and it and it's you know it, it's it's hard to let go of those things because you know you see you see in your children the good and the bad that you've sown into them, right? Because I mean, your children are like your garden. You're sowing into them daily. You're sowing into them constantly, whether you know it or not, whether you're conscious of it or not whether you're trying to or not, whether you mean to or not, and whether you actually believe, because I know how it is. You're like, are you even listening to me? Do we speak the same language? You know, I've got a 14-year-old. She's amazing. I mean, she is just an amazing child. She really is. But there are moments, and you're thinking, what is going on here? And then you have to realize, I'll just give you a tip as a father, and maybe you mothers can get something out of this. It's, it's touching to me. It gets me. I don't even remember where I got it from. I think it was a podcast or I read something. I'd like to give credit to where I got it from. But it was, they were talking about fathers not being uh, disappointed by seeming to not have influence with their children, by you thinking that you're trying to raise them and you're influencing them, but you don't always see it bearing fruit. <clears throat> and they said, no, fathers, what you don't realize is that for your daughter, and it's the same with mothers, you're their hero. And when you feel like you don't have influence with your children, and I've done this personally, I've done this. I, I've thought, and I've been trying, you know, I've been talking to the kid and, and there's, there's heads budding and it's like, wait a minute. Don't blow this. And, I, and I, hear that vo- I hear that in my voice, and it helps me change how I approach them. I'm her hero. I'm not there to save her, but I have more influence over her just by being in the room than anything I could ever try to teach her. And it, and it reminded me back when I first was encountering the Lord and you know, wasn't raised to believe, uh, didn't go to church, had a bad substance abuse experience, but, but started to become aware of the presence of the Lord with me. And, and it was just so comforting for him to be there. You know, he, never, he didn't try to talk to me. He didn't try to tell me. I didn't know you were supposed to try to hear God or anything like that. I just knew, well, if the devil's real, God must be real. He should be, he's probably with me too. And it's like the awareness turned and I could just sense Jesus being with me. That, that's, that's, that's parenthood. Just being with them, recognizing that you do have influence with them. It doesn't have to be a struggle. They're listening. They're paying attention. They're watching. What you're doing is getting in there. 
And you see it come out sometimes, right? Those things that you try and tell them and you try and you're like, you got to get this, you got to get this, you got to get this. And then you observe a situation and it pops out of them and you're like, oh, they got it. You ever had that experience, moms? Yeah. yeah. And it's, 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 it's an influence that you don't even realize that you have. And I pray that we can be that with God. I pray that as children of God, we can just let ourselves be influenced by him because that's what he wants too. He knows he can't force things in us. He knows he can't make things happen. He's given us this planet. He's given us free will. You know, one day that will end and he'll take this place back and he'll make it like it should be. Praise God. Let's hope that's like about 2 o'clock today, right? <laughs> got to eat it too. Gotta eat it too. Okay. <clears throat> Y'all eat long time, so five, five, be, five work for you. you get five o'clock, okay. So you think, about, <clears throat> you think about being in that place of life with God. And I just started thinking about birth. Started thinking about being in the womb. You know, we love our children before they're ever even conceived, don't we? I mean, you think about them, and it's like you, you think about what life would be like. You don't necessarily know that child yet. But the moment they are conceived, the moment you become aware that that child is within you, the first 10 months almost of their life, they're, they're inside. They, this, is, this is the picture that I want us to get. It's an organic process in the womb. It's a spiritual process in God. But they're, they're very much the same. The, the first 10 months of our lives, we are in our mother's womb. We don't even breathe air. Everything we need comes from God, from the mother. All the nutrients, I mean, the, the safe, protective place inside of that amniotic sac with the fluid in there and, you know, I was going to try and sound even smarter, but that's about the extent. <laughs> but, you, but you've got that organic cord, right, that is connected that is your life source. It is, you, you, just, you just sit in there and grow. That's how we are in God. It's like we've, we're born again. We've been taken, and we are hidden with Christ in God. It's like you've got a twin in there now. You've got Jesus in there now with you, and you're living in God. And just like you're in, when you're in your mother's womb, you're a person. You're your own individual person, despite what anybody might say. That is a person in there from the beginning. <clears throat> the, did you know the heart forms and starts to beat before the brain ever even pro begins the process thought? The part that you believe with forms before the part you think with forms. Because we're told it's with the heart that man believes unto salvation or uh, unto righteousness. Heart believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the heart, you believe. Believing, you don't believe with your brain. You think with your brain. That's what you're beginning to do is experience how to believe with your heart. And so you have to get your brain to think in agreement with what your heart believes about God. And you can't really explain it. You just hope that people catch it and be, take, take the journey. It's like trying to tell that baby 
what it needs to do to be fed by that mother. It's like, what are you talking about? That's all I've ever known. I got this cord right here. I'm good. And it's like, yeah, but you need to draw the nutrients from your mother. What are you talking about? I don't, it's just the process. It happens, you know. That's how we are in God. We are directly connected to God. And there is a life force. There is a spiritual connection that is even more real than that organic connection with our mother in the womb that constantly feeds us, constantly gives us life, constantly gives us righteousness and peace and joy and wisdom and direction and, and, and everything that God is, all of the inheritance that Jesus received wrapped up in that. It's just a steady flow feeding into us. I pray, this is my deepest prayer as a pastor for people that come into this place and watch us online and listen to messages, that you somehow figure out that different way to live, that you can incorporate these kinds of things into your life, that in any situation, you can turn to the Father and let that spiritual connection feed you and nourish you and teach you and develop you and, and, and let the, the, dis the discipline of capturing your thoughts and bringing them into agreement with truth, not just positive things. It's like the negative is, is an illusion. The positive is good, but there's truth that we're feeding on. And the truth is who God is. You know, a powerful meditation would, for you would be to go through the names of Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Shammah, all those names and meditate on the names. That's one of my favorite meditations because it just gets grounded in your heart. No, God really is my provider. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know, how to, I don't know what that looks like in this world. I don't know how to make that happen. Then you realize I can't make that happen. But as I turn toward him, see, God, it's... I wish I could articulate better the process of manifestation, meaning there's all this spiritual truth, there's this spiritual reservoir, life available, and as you stay connected to it, it's like a tree that's planted. It has to stay planted in order for it to draw the nutrients. You have to abide in Him. I don't mean stay saved, stay born again. I mean in your heart, you let Him abide in you. In your heart, you abide in Him. You don't forget that you're in Him. Don't, you, don't, you, know, you don't forget that you're directly connected, that you're plugged in, that that same Spirit that raised Him from the dead, I mean, the, the Spirit of God that came into that tomb and pulled His Jesus out of the grave and renewed that body and raised Him from the dead, that same Spirit is in you. Man, I don't have another message. I mean, I just don't. You know, you, you, you come in here week after week, and, and I'm going to find different ways to say the same thing, but that's, that's what we need. We need to learn how to be nourished and fed by the presence of the living God to the degree that it develops wholeness within us. You're complete spiritually, but are you living in such a way where that wisdom, where that life, where that righteousness, peace, and joy, and holiness that has been given to you and is a steady stream in you is actually developing outside of you and you're learning how? See, because it gets easier. 
there will be a point where there's a tipping point. It's like that bucket gets filled up and then it tips over and it's like, I don't even, I don't even remember, I don't even remember how to think the way I used to think. Like it, the logic just disappears out of your mind, the logic of fear, the logic of looking at this world to gather data, to bring it into your heart, to make decisions and conclusions about yourself. You just don't even remember that path anymore. All you know is what God knows about you. All you think is what God is feeding to you. And you can't make that happen, but you, you, you have to engage in labor to enter into that awareness. You know, by faith, we access grace. What I just described, that process of you being empowered, of being fed by the Spirit, that is the function, that is the process of grace. Grace is a divine influence on our heart. It is unmerited favor, yes. It comes by unmerited favor, absolutely. But it's more than just unmerited favor. It's a divine influence on our heart, not just an influence, but a life source, a power. We've got this passage. Go ahead and put it up there. This is in Ephesians 3. And I think this is this the most, this is, if, if you ever want to understand what grace is, it's good to know what it is doctrinally, like understand the tenets of the new covenant of what grace is. But functionally, to me, this is the best description of what grace actually is, what it does. Now, this is Paul in the, the beginning of this chapter. He's giving thanks to God for calling him to preach grace. Go back and read it. Go back and read Ephesians this week or at least just Ephesians 3 and get the whole context of what we're looking at here. But he's thanking God. He's thanking God for, the, for that, that this grace to be children, to be engrafted into God, is available not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. You know, that was a debate in the early church. It's like, can these, this is, this is supposed to be for us Jews. We're the chosen people. We're the only ones that get it. And then they had to go through, I mean, they had, they had a meeting, the early church, the, the, the disciples of Jesus, after he resurrected and they went out into the world, they had to have a meeting to decide, well, should we be leading these dirty, filthy, half-breed Gentiles to the Lord too? Can you, I mean, imagine that, right? So he's talking about that, and he's talking about, I'm, I'm thankful that I've been given this grace to preach, to go into the world with. And he does say, don't worry about if I go through sufferings. Now, let me just say this. You going through difficulty in this world is not the same as suffering, okay? When we say that suffering is not from God to develop a spiritual purpose within you, that doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to be persecuted for your faith. Did you follow me on that? It just means that God is not going to create difficulty that you suffer through so that he can give you a spiritual cookie <laughs> or holiness. It's all spiritual. All the process of anything we ever get from God is spiritual from that life source that we have from him. His purposes are not developed carnally by us going through something. Now, do you learn when you go through things? Absolutely. And it says right before this that perseverance develops, or suffering develops perseverance. But perseverance you need, let me just tell you this, you don't have to suffer to have perseverance. 
You can just turn to God and have him give it to you. But when you suffer, I hope you learn perseverance. Suffering is this, that you stand up for your faith and you're persecuted. Things are said about you. Maybe you're put in prison. Maybe you lose your life. That's suffering. But that's not God trying to make you complete through that difficulty. God might absolutely call you into a situation to be his representative where you experience suffering, but he's not saying, I need you to suffer so I can give you something. He's saying, I'd like for you to go into this place. Now, I want you to know, as you go, it could be really difficult. You might even lose your life. Are you okay with that? You could say, nope, I ain't okay with that, and not follow God, and he'd be, okay, I still love you. Doesn't change how I see you one bit. Doesn't change what I want for you or what I've given to you in Jesus. None of that changes. Do you see what I'm saying? So when you go back and you read that, just keep all that in mind when he talks about suffering because it's just the weird doctrine in the church that people teach that suffering makes you more holy. But holiness is something that you're left in the condition of after the blood of Jesus cleanses you. So this is grace in action. This is the function of grace. This is a description, I think, scripturally of what I just talked about. I think what you're beginning to experience. I mean, how many of you are experiencing a transformation in your heart? You're learning how to, to connect and you're learning how to feed on that spirit. For this reason, the reason is that he's been given this grace, right? For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches. Now, this is his reservoir. This is his ground. This is his soil. This is, this is what he has to give you. That out of his glorious riches. Now, think about your heart growing into that. His glorious riches. And his glorious riches are in you by his spirit. Because Christ is in you. You have access to his glorious riches. You know, I don't mean gold in your bank account and a Bugatti in your driveway. If you get a Bugatti, let me drive it. It's a really cool car. About a million dollar car. Excuse me. I, gotta, I was thinking carnally there for a minute. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That, I'm telling you, that's grace. That is what grace does. It is what it is. It's the best way to understand it. That his spirit strengthens you out of his glorious riches in your inner man, in your inner being. Next verse, please. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Well, I thought Christ lived in my heart. Well, he does, but he only has influence over your heart as you have faith toward him. And remember, faith is not you doing something to get him to come in and respond. Faith is looking at him and saying, you have shed your blood for me. In your blood is my righteousness. In what you have done, I have life. My old man is cut out and removed from... That's faith, looking at him and, and becoming rock-solid confident in what he's done for you. Faith is not, 
I can speak, bless God, I can speak and I can move the mountain. I can speak and I can move the mountain. I'm the head and not the tail. And, you know, all that confession stuff that we, you used to do. That's not really faith because you don't know what's happening in your heart necessarily. This faith is looking at Jesus and just acknowledging him. And when you do that, he dwells in your heart. Faith pulls him into your heart. He's in there in your spirit. You're bonded with him. But you've got to let him in your heart daily, moment by moment. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. See, the love, the love is what his glorious riches are made of. It's his love that actually makes you whole. It's his love that, that that's what you're, those, that's the nutrient that you're drawing into your life and into your heart. And his love makes you whole. I think his love is a real thing. His love is a force. It's, it's, it's a presence. It's, sub, it's spiritual substance. It's spiritual nutrition. And, and it's his motivation towards you, his love for you. <clears throat> Back, let me finish the, the yeah. So, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, rooted in love, next verse, that you're rooted in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses, not in the word know is this action, it's, it's have an experiential working knowledge of, not just have the mental information, but have an actual experiential working knowledge of and to be able to experience this love that passes knowledge, that you, and so what, then what happens is you become whole, that you may be filled with the measure of half of God, of half of the healing, of you praying for people and two of them get healed and eight of them don't, of you getting a job, and, but it doesn't quite pay the bills. No. The fullness of God, that's the measure that he's seeking to develop in you, his fullness. Everything he has is in this reservoir of his glorious riches, and it's the power of his love towards you that makes you whole and strengthens you and changes you and puts you in a place where you can stand up. Would you have ever stood up? I mean, you wouldn't even really tell people that you were experiencing with that about two months ago. I mean, I praise God. Come on. Amen. I love testimonies when people stand up here and say, hey, well, I was in the airport and I prayed for somebody and their leg grew out. But I'm telling you what, that's what I'm after right there. That's what we want, wholeness. Because whole people will go into the world and confidently stand in the face of anything and accurately represent the gospel in love, without condemnation, without the need to be right, without feeling like something's being taken away from you, without trying to figure out how do I manipulate this situation intellectually, how do I manipulate God to do something for me here in this situation? No, you just stand whole, knowing, and living from that place. Amen? You want that? I want that. That's what I want for people. That's my, that is my agenda for everybody that walks through that door and everybody that listens and everybody I can get to pay attention to me long enough. 
take this journey down the path of learning how to let the love of God make you whole. You guys in for that? I mean, that, that's, that's what we do. That is what we do. Let's do it together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather and just be encouraged by you, to, be in, to watch your fruit grow in the hearts of the people. I give you honor and praise. Only you can do something like that, God, and it lasts and it be sustainable, and you get the glory for it, God. That's what we want. We want you to be glorified in people so that other people look at them and say, I've tried the doctors, I've tried the drugs, I've tried the everything that this world has, and it just doesn't quite work. There's something missing. Let me try, God. Let me figure out this new way to live so that I can actually become whole through God's love. God, that's, that's our cry. That, that is teach us and lead us and guide us and give us wisdom of how to be more effective of presenting this to our community to help people become whole. Amen. So Rachel, I just kind of felt, I don't know, I looked over at this morning, she was looking at me, and I thought, well, is that something on your heart? And then she just unrolls this incredible testimony, and it's something that she's been talking to those of us that know her about, and walked as we've watched her walk through this journey. <clears throat> and today, she just felt like it was a good day to stand up and share, and I'm telling you, it will bless you. Look for areas, as she's t telling her testimony, that, that where you connect with this, but uh, come on up here. Just show her some love as she comes up here. And she's with her mom, too. Yeah, so. yeah my mom's here. Um, I started out first service by saying, and I, this is important to me, which is why I want to say, I don't want this to be about me. I want this to be about God and what he's done in my life. So I feel the need to say that. Um, basically, uh, I grew up as a very fearful child. There was some abuse that happened in my past. And um, as I came to know the Lord, uh, I thought I was overcoming a lot of those fears and, um, you know, thought everything was going well. Uh, went to college, did well, got a job out of college. And my first job out of college, my first two jobs really were very, very stressful, very, very intense. And, um, you know, I ended up developing anxiety disorder. So my actual diagnosis is anticipatory secondary anxiety. It's the rarest form of anxiety and it is the hardest to treat. And the reason why is because unlike primary anxiety where you experience a stressful situation, you may have one panic attack and then you never have another one for the rest of your life, anticipatory secondary anxiety is a ongoing issue with anxiety. It's not necessarily situationally based. It's, it's a lot of what's going on up here. And um, I tried to kind of navigate that on my own and eventually uh, medical doctors were like, you really need to see a therapist. So I started seeing his therapist. And I've been dealing with this for about three years now of having panic attacks. And um, it's the craziest thing because the thing about anticipatory anxiety is that you have anxiety over the thought of having anxiety. So it's, it's not, nothing's going on around me that would say, hey, you should be afraid right now. You know, my friends would be like, what's going on? I'm having a panic attack. And they're like, why? I mean, it's, it's very unsettling because you in your mind are trying to reason this and you're trying to understand why am I in so much fear? And what happens is it's not just fear, it, it becomes a 
physiological reaction to it. So you feel shortness of breath, you feel like you're gonna faint. Um, some people feel nauseous and they actually vomit. Um, and basically what happened is, you know, I was going through the therapy and I thought I had it under control, but um, a couple months ago, I, I had a pretty bad panic attack at work. And it was, you know, I thought I was having a heart attack. And I mean, and I'd had many, many, many panic attacks leading up to that, but that was a pretty bad one. And it took me about an hour to calm down. And my boss ended up having to drive me home. I couldn't even drive. I was so out of control, really, you know. And I got in to see my therapist. And, and you know, one of the things she said to me that really stuck with me is she's like, your thoughts are not God. These things that you're thinking are realities are not reality. And the thing that happens with this is that you take these thoughts and they just grow and they grow and they grow. And it's like wicker or like vines that just twist and it just sucks the life out of you. And you just feel so much despair. Like, am I ever going to get rid of this? You know, am I ever, because it's not something that, you know, you can just scan my brain and say, there it is, you know, it's, it's, it's here. And um, it just felt like something was missing. And basically what happened is after I had that really severe panic attack, they pulled me out of work for two weeks. They said, you can't work, you need to be at home. And that was pretty significant to me because unless I'm remembering incorrectly, I don't think I've ever gone two weeks, more than a week being out of work since I was 16 years old. And I love my job. I love what I do. Um, so that really was unsettling. And I thought, wow, this must really be a problem because I'm now being medically relieved from my job. And um, during that time, I was, I was hanging out with Adam and Stacy. Adam's the worship leader and his wife, Stacy. And I noticed that I just felt so much peace when I was around them. Like, I couldn't really explain it. It was just like I was calm, which was, at the time, something I really needed. And I just thought, when I was around them, it's like it's like the room, metaphorically speaking, like the room was so dark, and being around them, it's like they cracked open a door to what life could be like, that you could live without being in so much turmoil. And that's why I think it's interesting we had that song that you're not a slave to fear because it feels like slavery. You know, you're afraid to do new things. You're afraid of unknown things. It, it Having anticipatory secondary anxiety, it, it makes you second guess every decision you make because you worry, am I going to have a panic attack? Am I going to be able to do it? You know, is it, you know, I remember the first time I came to this church, the first day I sat towards the door and that way I could run out if I needed to, if I had a panic attack. Um, and I just knew that I didn't want to live like that anymore. I didn't want to live like that for a long time anymore. But medical doctors, they, they'd ran all these tests on me. And, and my cardiologist said, you have less than 1% chance of having a heart attack. What are, you know, like they, my doctor saying, what are you so afraid of? There's nothing physically wrong with you. And that's when I went, okay, I do the therapy, which I, I advise therapy. I'm not, nothing against, I think it's helped me, but there was just something, something that was missing. And so I, I really started like listening intently and intentionally to like what Clint was saying. And I, I really started immersing myself in the church and I started coming like every Sunday, every Wednesday, I'd come to the Tuesday nights with the young adults and just really starting to like intentionally 
put myself in an environment where I could just like get it. And um, as time went on, I started noticing like something was starting to change, encouragement was starting to come up, peace was starting to come up. And we, in this Wednesday night Bible study that I go to, um, Clint gave us a, a homework assignment where we had to take one word and we had to um, look up the definition of the word and we had to read every scripture on the word and then like come to a conclusion. And so of course I chose fear. That was fitting for me. Um, and it turns out that there are 355 scripture verses in the Bible that talk about fear. And there are 35 Hebrew slash Aramaic slash Greek words that describe fear. We have just one word in our English language, just fear. But in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, they translate fear in a bunch of different ways. Um, some of those 355 scriptures were about fear of the Lord, which is moral reverence of God, not being afraid of him. But the rest of it, what I was noticing was like, do not fear man. Do not fear. Fear not. Just like everything was like, fear not, fear not, fear not. And when I, so then I took it a step further and, you know, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Um, I translated every word in that scripture because that's kind of been the scripture that I've tried to stand on. And the God has not, that has not part, when you translate it in Greek, it means absolute negative never. And with English, has not is very passive. You know, if we say has not, have, that's a more passive way versus than just saying not. And so that really hit me. I was like, absolute negative never given me a spirit of fear. So that spirit is completely contrary to how God created me, how I'm even supposed to respond. I mean, it doesn't even live inside me. It's, it's absolutely outside of anything he ever intended for me as his creation and as his child. And I just started meditating on that. And I started like, when those thoughts would come up, I would just start doing what Clint said, which is shut it down. Because if you don't shut it down, it's like the runaway train. And before you know it, you're, you're off in anxiety land and you're having a panic attack. And I noticed as time went on, it was getting easier and easier to even identify the thoughts, the negative thoughts, and shut it down and say, that's not God. And that's not what he intended for me. And instead of focusing on the negative, focusing on who he is, what he's done for me, and who am I in him. And it's, it got easier and easier to stop having the panic attacks and actually being able to do things that normally would scare me and just go and do it. Because I was like, the, the other thing that I didn't mention in first service, but I have felt like I should mention it now, and I say this with a lot of um, not very... <laughs> boldly, because I'm still working this out in my own mind, but one of the things that I've been focusing on lately is that Paul was so secure in God and in Christ that he loved him unto death. And what I mean by that is like, if you're not afraid to die, it renders everything else powerless. Because the fear of death really is probably behind a lot of what you're, or me, I should say, what I'm afraid of. And to live is Christ, to die is gain. And 
again, I'm still working that out. I don't have that all figured out, but it's something that I've really been meditating on. And so getting to meditation, this was kind of the big, kind of the switch for me is that the benefit of having anxiety is that you realize you've meditated on something negative to the point that you physically rendered yourself incapacitated. Now imagine if you meditated on God to the point that you're the absolute opposite of being physically incapacitated to being free. It's the same process, except instead of going that direction, I'm going this direction. And that's kind of the key that kind of changed a lot of it with me, is that I just started going, okay, instead of focusing on any and everything that could possibly go wrong, the what if this, what if that, what if this, what if, what if, what if, what if. Instead, I'd be like, what did God say? What is he always saying? Because you have to kind of settle in your own heart to believe him that despite the circumstances, despite what it looks like, despite what it feels like, you're going to believe that he is who he is and he said what he said and that he's not a man that he shall lie and that you're just going to believe on it, and you're going to choose him over choosing this. And that's pretty much where I'm at. So I, uh, I don't have it all figured out. Even this morning, I had some negative thoughts, but I just went, shut it down, focus on Jesus. That's where you need to have your mind at, get your mind right. And um, I hope that encourages someone. Yeah,